We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome in to the award-winning Rotowire Fantasy Basketball Podcast sponsored by DraftKings. It is Friday, March 2nd, 2018. DJ Trainer here joined by Nick Whalen. Ken Kreitz is out on vacation in Belize. And uh, Shannon McEwen is down in Missouri dealing with uh, um, a sick family member. So we wish Katie, Finley, and Shannon the best while they're down there in Kansas City. We also, po- wish, we also wish Ken the best while he's down there in Belize. We hope he makes it back alive. Yep. Um, I've seen 50, some, 50 at this point. He's been showing me some pictures, and he's had a beer in hand for every single one. So, I saw one that he posted both on Instagram and Facebook of him sitting in one of those yes. chairs that, yes. that is designed to make it look as though you're wearing a very revealing bikini bottom. Um, and I, I just looked at that and I thought, wow, this is something that Ken would absolutely love. And boy, boy, was I right. Yeah. So shout it, out to Ken. It's like he saw an Instagram picture of Belize with those chairs and he just like told the family, we're going to Belize right, like, so I can sit in that chair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I definitely did a triple quadruple take when I saw that picture. That um, was, that was one of those, like where you, that button that you never use, like report, report posts. It's like, yeah. you know, this post is offensive. <laughs> this post makes me uncomfortable. Uh, um, if you don't know what we're talking about, I'm sure Ken will find a way to sneak it on the Rotowire NBA homepage at some point over the next couple months. So don't worry. Just keep your eyes locked. Yeah, I would say within the next 48 hours, it'll be up there. It'll be on his uh, rebound and rant column. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, Belize I'm, edition. Belize edition, most definitely. 
All right. Well, this podcast is available on iTunes and Stitcher. You probably know that already, but feel free to leave a nice review on one of those venues. You know we'd love to have it. You can also find this podcast and all of our other RotoWire podcasts on the rotowire.com website itself. Quick overview of today's pod. Um, since we have a reunion pod with Nick and I, we're going to do it a little differently than we typically do on the Friday with the three amigos. We're going to still go over some top news. Then we're going to jump into our broad topic. Why not? Let's talk about the MVP race. Everybody else is doing it, so we're going to jump into the discussion as well. Then we're going to finish up with some Friday DraftKings discussion. So without further ado, the big news this morning, Nick, uh, Friday morning, is that NBA Twitter is rampant with soup jokes. And the reason why is because the reason behind J.R. Smith getting suspended for one game is because he threw a bowl of soup at assistant coach Damon Jones. First reaction from you when you saw that this morning? It's like, yeah, sure, that makes sense. <laughs> um, you know, that was I was literally the first thing that I read this morning. Um, and I'd kind of forgotten, you know, like I was watching watching the Cavs game on national TV last night and you know, Rodney, I didn't have the sound on and Rodney Hood was starting. And I honestly just thought, oh, you know, this makes sense. JR shooting like 39 <laughs> percent. I see why they're starting Rodney Hood, uh, which I later found out, obviously, was because JR was suspended. You know, the, the Cavs had been rather coy about the situation, as most teams are. You know, they're not going to come out and, and give specific details. But, um, you know, we got no information really on this last night at all. Um, you know, whether it was an altercation with a teammate, uh, with a coach, which obviously it ended up being, whether it was something where he was, you know, he missed something, he was late for something. Uh, the Cavs didn't say anything, which in, in retrospect maybe is is a little bit uh, fishy and kind of, you know, lend some credence to what ended up actually happening. Um, but you know, I mean, J.R. Smith's involved. It wasn't, obviously it wasn't (laughs) going to be just, oh, he was five minutes late for a meeting. Like that would be way too simple. Um, but I just have so many questions. Like, so he, the report says that he threw a bowl of soup, right? Which implies that, you know, did, did did the bowl itself go with the throw? Yeah. I mean, how do you, the soup clearly had to spill out in midair. Like I'm assuming this, I don't, you know, I mean, I think Damon Jones, he was the assistant that the soup mm-hmm. was the, he was the target E of the, of the soup. <laughs> and Damon Jones is what, like in his low, in his early forties, like he's, right. he's buddies with LeBron. He's, he's kind of like, like the guy that can relate, relate, relate to late to the liaison, I think between the players and the coaches. So like, I, I do wonder if JR was actually upset or if this was just kind of like a joke and he tossed a bowl of soup, you know, and it made a big mess and maybe a Cavs staffer saw it and they just like had no choice but, but to suspend him. Uh, either way, I'm, I'm glad this is what it was because whenever JR is involved in something like this, this is kind of the ideal scenario that you hope for. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. My tennis expertise doesn't come in handy much on my MBA analysis here at Rotowire. Really? However, yeah, really. Um, However, this happens a lot in tennis, not with soup and not with bowls, but players will throw their rackets just kind of aimlessly, and there's ball boys and like line judges all over. So sometimes those rackets get dangerously close, and then the, the chair umpire has to decide, did they intentionally throw it at a lines person or a ball boy or not? So, you know, I guess uh, the Cavs brass had to decide, did they actually throw it at, at or did J.R. Smith actually throw it at Damon Jones or not? Lots of questions to be answered. Um, We haven't made any jokes yet, but I I wrote down all the early jokes. I'm just going to read through them like crazy. All right, Dan Wokey, it was a one-game suspension because it was a gazpacho. That's not confirmed. That's just a joke because gazpacho is denser than other types of soup. 
Wow. I, I thought gazpacho, isn't that just the Spanish word for soup? Oh. I don't know. I think there's more seafood involved, which would be okay. less enticing than okay. chicken noodle all I'm over a, your I'm suit. I'm a native English speaker. Uh, Fran Fraschillo weighed in with JR was apparently stewing for weeks before the incident. Our own buddy, Brett Dawson, actual friend of the pod. This can't be good for his stock. Pretty solid wow, joke. That yeah, is, that actually is pretty good. Yeah, uh, Rowan, good job, Ka- Brett. Rowan Kavner. I guess they traded Crowder for Chowder. Nice. Also pretty good. Yeah, not bad. I as mean, these are all solid jokes. They just seem too easy almost. Mm-hmm. Bobby Marks, the Cavaliers should make a donation to the local soup kitchen. Um, J.R. Smith's fine, that is, $94,000. Makes sense. Yeah, I'll give that one like a five. All right. Fred Katz, J.R. Smith out here playing Bisque It Ball. Three. Three. All right. Last one. Uh, Steve Kendall, J.R. Smith, a consomme professional. Eight and a half. That's, That's pretty a good, good one, right? Uh, That's I'd like a good to, one to nominate on. one final one from Mina Kimes, uh, who <laughs> said, uh, quote tweeted a, another tweet about this uh, and said, you trying to get the pipe being hot bisque? <laughs> that, that's a 10 out of 10. So shouts to she, Mina. She's hilarious. She is very funny. She's hilarious on Twitter. Uh, let's, stick, let's stick with the Cavs here. Uh, last night, they, they did play, like we mentioned. Uh, LeBron James had a nutmeg on Tristan Thompson that he eventually took to the, ha- took to the hoop, made a nice layup. The big thing, uh, you know, did he do it intentionally? No, absolutely not. It, that's, that's my firm answer here, too. But, you know, that is the question people are asking. I actually dare to say that that was a dumb move, be going behind the back when you have a screener and the person being screened right to your right where the ball is coming around. I actually think the whole thing was a poorly executed play, but obviously it, it, the result was amazing. Yeah, I, I think LeBron, I don't know if he was even asked about this after the game. I, I haven't seen it, but I, I'm 100% sure he will never admit that it wasn't sure. intentional, but... <laughs> Uh, in fact, last night he quote tweeted the highlight and said, the young generation would say I was in my bag and haters will say it's fake. Wow. Um, 10 out of 10 on that tweet. The haters will say it's fake because, I mean, it's not, it's not fake, I guess, but there's just no way. Like he, he knew Tristan Thompson was going to perfectly position his feet. Like if Tristan Thompson's left leg is an inch to the right, mm-hmm. it gets kicked and it's, you know, Robert Covington probably picks it up and takes it the other way. Uh, not to take anything away from LeBron. I mean, far be it from me, of, of all people, to, to ever do that. Um, I just, nobody can do that intentionally. No way. He wasn't even looking. Yeah, and what's funny is that we're, we're half an inch away from it being, like, leading not top ten. Right? It yeah. just It bounces off Tristan's butt, goes right. out of bounds, and, it, and it's, like, the worst NBA play of the year. And LeBron probably, like... Scolds Tristan on the right, exactly. for setting the screen um, too high. I, I just wanted to set the record straight that no way was it intentional. But the next question for you is, does that play, that clip, show up on his legacy highlight reel? I, I, it was McMenamin, right, who, who tweeted, like, this might end up on his all-time sure. highlight reel. Uh, no. I mean, I, I think people do forget how many, and this is me, hopefully James doesn't listen to this, getting on my <laughs> LeBron soapbox, but... The other night when I came home from the bar, uh, I watched top 10 LeBron plays from each of his seasons from like starting with like 06, 07 or something like that. It was like 10 videos. Yeah. And it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Some of the plays that he had in his first Cavs stint that you just never see anymore. You know, we, they, they show the LeBron and Wade like alley-oops all the time on SportsCenter still. Um, and you see those in highlight packages all the time. But I, 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 this is not like even in LeBron's top 50 plays ever. Wow. 
50. This is I impressive. mean, you would know. I, mean, the, I think the layup, absorbing contact from two guys, finishing the lefty layup and the foul was almost the more impressive part of the play. Right. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, it was pure luck. It, it was pure luck. And like I said, it, it was actually foolish to whip it around your back without looking at two guys that are standing right next to you. Like, I... I, I don't know, it was a good move. I just, I think... There's just no way he meant to put it through Tristan's legs. Yes. I think he just meant to make it a normal around-the-back dribble, which still would have been a really cool move, but there's just you just can't plan for, for the positioning of another player. All right, fair enough. We're going to go from one of the players that you love the most to, I think, one of the players that you dislike the most, and that, of course, is Isaiah Thomas, who last night with the Lakers coming off the bench, 29 points, four rebounds, six assists, over 30 minutes, during a win versus the Heat. He's just back. To, just to put this in context, uh, Lonzo Ball played, started 34 minutes, 8.6 rebounds, 7 assists. Now, as much as I would have liked the Lakers to just buy out Isaiah Thomas and for him to go back to Boston or something, it seems like Isaiah Thomas is going to be a major staple in the lineup for the Lakers moving forward. Your overall thoughts before we get down to how it specifically affects Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart? I, I got to say, I do respect Isaiah for <clears throat> the way that he's handled this situation. I respect his agent for the way that he's handled this situation because the day he was traded to L.A., his agent, you know, texted, what, texted Rachel Nichols, all caps, he's not coming off the bench. Right. Uh, well, he's come off the bench for, <laughs> what, seven straight games? I think all he's played seven games with the Lakers. They've all been off the bench. We haven't heard a peep from him. Um so, I mean, it's, it's, all, it's not like he's playing 10 minutes a game. You know, he's basically at 25 or above every time he's on the court. So maybe, maybe that's more the issue is minutes, not bench. Um, but, I mean, it, it, the Lakers aren't in a position where they need to tank at all. So I, I think, obviously, they don't really see Isaiah as part of their future. But Wait, why, why are they not in a position to tank? They don't have their pick. Oh, well, there you go. So, I, I mean, the, why not? You know, why not run him out there? Like a, a game like this where Isaiah, you know, looks like, Last year's Isaiah and the Lakers win a game and Lonzo plays, you know, reasonably well uh, by hit by the standards that he's established. Like this is this is, I guess, the best case scenario for both sides. You know, Isaiah needs to have more games like this if he wants to get a contract anywhere near the level of what he thought he was going to get, you know, four months ago. And I mean, I, I, I'm of the belief that that's completely off the table. Like he's not getting a max. He's not getting probably anywhere near the max. Um, but there was, you know, two weeks ago, it looked like he might be, you know, Roy Hibbert where <laughs> in Indiana, what in like 2012, yeah. 13, we're talking about him as, is he the best center in the East? And Defensive then two years later, year. he's two years later, he waits out free agency and signs like a one year, $3 million deal with Charlotte, you oh, know, and that's kind of the path that Isaiah looked like he was going down for a while. I think he still has more left in the tank than Hibbert did. And, and obviously the game had shifted away from, from the style that Hibbert, was so good at what a weird comparison Isaiah and, and Roy Hibbert but um yeah I mean I, I think this is kind of what we're going to see the rest of the way like I said the Lakers really have nothing to lose one way or the other you know I, I mean Josh Hart going down in, in some ways makes Luke Walton's job a little bit easier because yeah. this was really the first game where Lonzo has been cleared for a full minutes load you know he had been in the low to mid-20s um, and they're at some point they were going to have to address that situation because you can only play Isaiah and ball together all, so much. Uh, but with Josh Hart going out, I mean, there's, that's like 25 minutes that just opened up and, and now it's, it's a little bit easier to distribute those. Yeah. I, I missed that news yesterday, but Josh Hart, Josh, Josh Hart is out of the picture, uh, undergoing surgery on his broken, broken left finger. Yeah. Probably done for the year. Might as well be done for the year. 
Um, so one quick comparison I want to make um, with this Lakers team and this dynamic before um, we toss it over to our MVP discussion is that I don't know that having Isaiah Thomas on the court is good for Lonzo Ball's progression as an NBA player. Uh, you're shaking your head no, and I think that's a pretty easy answer. And I want to make a comparison to the last years of Kobe Bryant for guys like D'Angelo Russell, D'Angelo Russell, I can't speak this morning, and Jordan Clarkson in that, uh, sure, we want Kobe to go out there and have his parade and, and, and go out on top, but at the same time, you're stunting your future because you're allowing Kobe to hijack uh, the development of these young players. Do you think that that's happening to a lesser degree here that for some reason the Lakers feel obligated to let Isaiah Thomas play for a contract? I, I don't think so. I mean, the Kobe thing, we're never going to see anything like that. There, there's just not, that was such a unique situation. Uh, one with Kobe being Kobe, you know, like it, just the the presence that he was and really still is with that organization. I, you know, I mean, Isaiah is nowhere near that realm, especially with what he would mean to the Lakers. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think this is fine. I mean, it's a 20 game sample at the end of the year. Isaiah's it'd be one thing if they were starting Isaiah and he was playing 35 minutes and Lonzo was playing like 20 minutes off the bench. But I think it's still pretty clear what the priority is and and the way that Lonzo plays. You know, you look at the box score, Isaiah took 20 shots. Lonzo took five. That looks bad, but you know, Lonzo was probably only going to take five shots, whether Isaiah was playing or not. You know, I, I think their styles contrast so much that, Lonzo, there's not really a guy in the league who I think could like really hurt Lonzo. You know, he's such a pass first guy that unless you're putting him, unless you're pairing him with like Rondo, you know, I think I, I don't really see what the issue is. You know, if anything, I think Isaiah is kind of a, a decent proxy for someone like Jordan Clarkson, you know, who is a shot happy guy, you know, someone who is going to catch and shoot. He's not going to hesitate. Um, I, I don't think it hurts Lonzo at all. You know, it'd be one again. It'd be one thing if they signed Isaiah to like a three-year deal after this. That would be very concerning. <laughs> um, but I think this is you know this is just kind of how things go when you're a bad team. You make weird decisions like this. You bring in random veterans to to kind of boost your profile after the trade deadline. And I think you know come mid-April, this will be it for Isaiah in LA. All right, fair enough. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. If you're looking for a credit card that fits your lifestyle, look no further. U.S. Bank has credit cards that make every day rewarding, no matter what you're into. Feeling hungry? Check out the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining. And get two times points at gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. That'll keep your wallet and your mouth full. Big spender? The U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card has a low intro APR for large purchases or balance transfers. And you call the shots with the U.S. Bank Cash Plus Visa Signature Card. Choose two categories each quarter. Earn 5% back on your first $2,000 of eligible purchases from those categories. So don't just get a credit card. Get the right card to make every day more rewarding. Cash back, merchandise, travel rewards, and low intro APRs are waiting. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc., and the cards are available to United States residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Nick, sit back, get your M- MVP hot takes ready while I talk to our listeners real quick and ask them, what's better than fantasy sports? 
Uh, of course, the answer there is the future of fantasy mm-hmm. sports. The Fantasy Gold team is bringing you just that. Welcome to DraftDaily.com. It's crypto, it's currency, it's sports. DraftDaily.com is the new standard in the fantasy sports industry. With almost non-existent fees, 100% trackable transactions, and 0% risk of chargebacks, they're taking the industry by storm, making the game we all love both safer and cheaper to play. They've brought fantasy sports and blockchain technology together to create the ultimate user experience and platform, DraftDaily.com. On DraftDaily.com, their users can play without worry and without fees digging into their profits. DraftDaily.com is introducing cryptocurrencies to the masses. What better way to do that than to merge crypto with fantasy sports? On DraftDaily.com, you play with and win cryptocurrency. Secure your place in history. Play on DraftDaily.com today, where players and the game they love are the focus. DraftDaily.com. Broad topic today, Nick. Very, very simple. Who should win MVP? And we can do a sub-question is, well, we can talk about who should win it, but maybe who's leading the charge right now. I'll throw out the three obvious candidates, and if I'm missing anybody here, feel free to step in. Anthony Davis, LeBron James, James Harden, and then I think it's the field after that, unless I'm grossly misunderstanding the, the NBA right now. Um, of course, you'll notice no Warriors make that list because as we have all assumed would happen, they just take glory from each other and divide it up equally. And that, you know, doesn't turn out in their favor when it comes to individual awards. Yeah, I mean, I had this this discussion with James um, on the podcast yesterday, and we, we really went into it two weeks ago uh, on the Thursday episode. But yeah, the thing with the Warriors is not only is, is Curry competing against his own individual MVP seasons, which, you know, especially his first one is going to be almost impossible to top. Um, and we've seen that with a number of players. You know, LeBron has kind of had that issue his whole career and, and, and a number of stars have where you set the bar so high initially that if you don't clear that bar, it's hard to hand you another MVP when you've technically had a worse season than one you've already had. Uh, but then on top of that, and what's ultimately the bigger issue is that when you stack the deck with a roster like that uh, in Golden State and then are only on track to win, you know, and I only, you know, mid 60s, <laughs> low 60s right. for, for wins like yeah. the Warriors for, for Steph or Durant to be a real candidate, they had to win, I think, 70 games. Of course, um, yeah. and and if they did that, if they if they finished the year like seventy one and eleven, and Curry and Durant had these seasons, I think they would be right up there with Harden. Um, but you know, if, if especially if they finish with a worse record than the Rockets, there's just no way. Uh, and I think they I, I think they understand that. I mean, like you said, there have you really heard any Curry or Durant MVP buzz? I think yeah. at this point, it's just kind of accepted that that's the case. Um, but I mean, night to night, it's it's just looking more and more like it's going to be Harden uh, unless he gets hurt. You know, he's not someone that, you know, you're not going to say, like, well, he could go into a slump. Like, no, he hasn't gone into a slump, like, at all, really, at any point in the last three years. Um, so as long as he doesn't get hurt, he's going to win it. The the thing that I told James is, I think LeBron's out of it. That that, that kind of goes without saying. Davis is clinging to some chance, and, and that's just because he, he does have a semi-intriguing narrative on his end, which is, let's say the Pelicans, you know, kind of continue the way that they've been since Dave or since cousins went down if they can get to the three seed in the west which is not (laughs) unobtainable which sounds crazy but they're only one game out right right now uh if they can if they can get past portland san antonio and minnesota uh obviously two of those teams have very major injury question marks right now 
and finish third in the West, even though they would still be like 15 games behind Houston and Golden State, that's a pretty strong narrative to say, okay, Anthony Davis has basically averaged 35 and 15 over the last two months. The Pelicans are third in the West, and their third best player is a guy who was like the eighth man for the Bulls a month ago. I don't know if that's enough to bring him past Harden, but that's a pretty compelling case most years. Yeah, and in this discussion, you, you drop some stats there, but for the most part, we're not going to talk about stats because I think that the MVP stats are race, for losers. Yeah, <laughs> not that type of podcast. Um, I think the MVP race is almost always about narrative, right? So, so we gushed over Russell Westbrook's triple double. Yes, that's a stat, but you know what? Perhaps the real reason why he he won the MVP is that there was this revenge narrative that he was, you know, the true son of Oklahoma and not Kevin Durant. Like Kevin Durant had actually been labeled at one point in his career that he was fighting for a smaller market and he was willing them to the playoffs with these, you know, amazing performances night in and night out. You know, what was going on with the other narratives last year? James Harden was in Houston doing what he had always been doing, right? Drawing fouls on statues and Kawhi Leonard was humming along with the Spurs and and Popovich. And there wasn't anything sexy necessarily with uh, Harden's narrative or Kawhi's Kawhi's, Leonard's narrative. But obviously, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook's season and and how he was compelled to a triple-double was perhaps one of the sexiest MVP Mm -hmm. narratives you ever have. And and this season, um, there's nothing truly or what it would be davis willing a team of you know a bag of rocks as we've mm-hmm. labeled them over the course of the season with the second player second best player going down you know that's sexy and i think that's why he's bringing being brought up in the conversation it's a little too late for me yes the third seed would be enticing but i almost feel like the media is backed into a corner there it's like all right yeah we just got to give it to harden like we'd be foolish not to yeah, I mean, things have kind of broken right for Harden in terms of what he's been a second place finisher at least twice already. And yeah. there was, you know, I, I don't think Russ's MVP has aged all that well over the last few months. It has not. You know, I think if you like retook that vote a couple months ago, like at the beginning, even at the beginning of this year, it did it, some more respect, I think, was paid to Harden. And some people kind of started to look deeper at, at Westbrook. Um, but like you said, he had the narrative, you know, not only the OKC narrative and everything that had gone on with that team and with the Warriors, but the triple double average was such a calling card. You like you could, you know, when you when teams send out their their press kits on these things, you know, like it was pretty it was a pretty easy case <laughs> to make for Westbrook. Like with Harden, what are you, you going to cite? Like, well, look at his true shooting, you know, look at his look at his BPM, things like that. You're like mm-hmm. you said, stats don't matter in this debate. And for the most part, I agree. But certain stats do. Well, the traditional once, counting stats matter. Once and when you're you have past it, a certain point, stats don't matter. You're looking at narratives. Yeah. But I think they mattered for Russ because when you have double digits in three of you know the major categories, which someone, nobody has done in like 40 years, that matters. Like if Russ had only finished with nine rebounds per game, the debate is totally different to me. Like the fact that he actually averaged a triple double is what won him the MVP, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that I would be wrong in saying that what you just said is not true, but I think that there are, cause a triple double is arbitrary, right? You know, I mean, when you think about it, it's, it's, it's somewhat arbitrary because you could go out there and make, um, efficiency arguments for Harden and say, you know, this is one of the most efficient mm-hmm 
season performances we've ever seen. Um, and so, you know, those debates were out there to make, but I do think that the revenge narrative and o- Oklahoma's last remaining son of, of the four yeah. brothers uh, w- was a little more sexy and enticing for voters. And, and this year we don't have that, but I think, you know, that's why we're giving Davis more credit than maybe he should get because he's the only guy in the race that has a sexy narrative. Yeah, and you have to remember who the voting base is, too. You know, like, it's a little bit tougher to sell these efficiency numbers to a lot of the guys who are voting for these awards, and it's a lot easier to sell, you know, more of a dramatic narrative or more of a traditional numbers narrative. And that's where I think Harden was hurt a little bit last year. But this year, I mean, not only is he basically reproducing last season, I think he has more signature games this year. You know, I mean, the 60, 11, and 10 game, I mean, that's not something that he did last year. That's not something that anyone's ever done. I mean, right. that that alone was kind of a a wake-up call, I think, to to a lot of people. Um, after, after Harden had missed some time, you know, he missed, what, close to a month earlier in the season, and it looked like that kind of might be the end of it. LeBron, that was his opportunity, you know, to kind of grab a hold of, of the MVP at that point, and Harden's slump or Harden's injury kind of coincided with LeBron's month-long you know, I'm going to try 50% of the time. And he kind of played himself out of it, I thought, at that point, because, you know, if Harden doesn't miss any more time the rest of the way, he's he's going to have the better numbers. And his team at present has, you know, 12 more wins than the Cavaliers and are probably going to keep trending, you know, upward, whereas the Cavs, you know, lost at home to Philly last night. They're, they're still up and down on a night-to-night basis. Houston only had 55 wins last year, too, which I was surprised right. about. I mean, it felt like they were better. And 55 is, you know, a great total. But they're on pace to easily, you know, probably get to 60 this year. And and I think that'll look a lot better, too, for Harden's chances. Right. And one more layer that I'll add to that, the fact that they could potentially and are right now ahead of the greatest team of all time in the regular season standings pr- certainly is a check mark in Harden's favor I only want to spend like one minute on this Nick uh you're unprepared for this but I I know you're always ready Colby Altman just by the sheer fact that that he he managed to figure out how to churn over an entire roster does he win GM of the year that's a good question I I haven't thought about just the feat of getting rid of everybody seems hard to do whether or not you know completely regardless of if the team became better or not I don't know. I mean, I, I that that's a really tough one. I think some I think a lot some people could have really contrasting opinions on Kobe Altman. You know, like it depends how much you're willing to take into account the situation that he inherited. You know, stepping in at a at a crazy time and some you know some people might look at it and say, "Wow, why would you trade Kyrie?" Whereas other people would kind of assess the situation and and realize he didn't really have much of a choice. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, in order to win GM of the year you either have to do something major, you know, mid-season, which the Cavs did both in the offseason and in the middle of the season, or you have to, you know, make a, a risky slash notable off-season acquisition. So I think, it, like, the Rockets GM, Daryl Morey, Morey, could very well be in this race because nobody was really quite sure how the Chris Paul situation would work out, mm-hmm. and it has been mm-hmm. beautiful. And they also signed P.J. Tucker, you know, and the, and the other ancillary guys that they brought in have been really really good so i think that's going to be that's going to be on the table um well let me ask you i mean you you broke that down exactly how i was hoping you would break it down but we know what the criteria is for mvp right you need a bunch of fat stats 
and your team needs to be very successful. In fact, history would say you need to finish one, two, maybe three in the conference standings to win MVP. For GM, what is the criteria? Uh, For me, what it seems like is you have needed to make some type of acquisition, whether it was heading into the season or midseason, right, that turned out um, demonstratively favorable uh, than the previous team's dynamic. Um, you know, you can make an argument that standing Pat maybe would have been the best choice, but you aren't really going to get a lot of love when it comes to GM of the year. So, so Maury sticks out to me. Altman sticks out for me. Um, uh, Boston, that I, I, Danny Ainge, Danny Ainge, of course, sticks out to me. I mean, perhaps acquiring Kyrie Irving is getting lost in the mix of, of, of all this as well, because that right now is is the third. I mean, engineering that trade yes, to, exactly. to get who looks like the better player and a future pick. I mean, Ainge could win it every year. Uh, I, I mean, and I also think Kevin, Kevin Pritchard, as crazy as it sounds, in Indiana. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, because we all said that was a bad trade yeah. and really he knew right. what he was. Right. If you want to talk narrative, I mean, a guy who <laughs> was backed into a complete corner with Paul George, flipped him for what looked like a horrible deal that almost no one praised at the time. And, you know, now Indiana. You know, James and I went through the the over unders yesterday, just kind of reviewing those. Their over under on the year was thirty one and a half. Wow! Like they already have thirty four wins. They're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be the team that I think beats their over under by more than any other team. Hmm. Uh, I think Houston might have a chance to do that too. I mean, there are some that are gonna beat it the other way. You know, like Memphis is obviously much worse than than thought people thought they would be. But yeah, I mean, if you want to talk like surprise teams um you know the Pacers are not really a team that we talk about much but I I didn't realize that expectations were that low really coming into the year yeah most definitely so if we're drawing comparisons to our MVP talk I would say that Ainge is the LeBron James of the situation where perhaps he's you know definitely the best GM out there but that's not why you win the award necessarily uh Maury is like pardon I guess right it's like it feels like well we probably should just give it to him because he figured out a way to finish better Mm -hmm. than the best team of all time and then Pritchard is probably like your Anthony Davis where it's like wow he came out of nowhere unexpected results um I did not expect to draw a GM to MVP of the year comparison but I'm very very proud of myself uh Nick we're gonna get into our Friday DraftKings discussion after I talk a little bit more about DraftKings and the special offer that we have for RotoWire podcast listeners we're offering a free six-month RotoWire subscription to new DraftKings users here's how to take advantage of the offer first you create a DraftKings account and make your first deposit of at least ten dollars then you get a six-month RotoWire membership for free it's that easy Of course, you'll also receive a free $3 ticket for a one-day fantasy sports contest deposited into your account. And then you can play for a shot at winning a big cash prize every single day that there are NBA games on the slate. Visit DraftKings.com forward slash RotoWire dash 2018 to sign up and claim your free subscription today. It's a long one, so I'll repeat it for you. Visit DraftKings.com forward slash RotoWire dash 2018 to sign up and claim your free subscription today. Nick, let's finish strong here. I have a few questions for you, um, more broad based um, for, you know, fantasy DFS strategy more than anything on our topic today. Um, first let's look at tonight's slate and let me just ask you what game most interests you tonight of course easy answer for you would be bucks against the pacers but we're going to talk about that in a little bit so um, any other game of the 10 remaining games that you're most interested in tonight 
Ooh, this is an interesting slate. I mean, Toronto, Washington mm. should be fun for obvious reasons. The Hawks might score like 45 points at home tonight against the Warriors. <laughs> uh, that's going to be like a 80-20 split in terms of Warriors fans at that game. But I, I'm going to say OKC and Phoenix. I, I think Minnesota and Utah is fun, but I, I watched Minnesota last night. Don't want to do that twice in a row. Uh, OKC Phoenix. I the Suns are terrible. You yes. know, anytime they're on TV, I do enjoy watching them. Though they play no defense, but they have a lot of guys that I like watching. I mean, Devin Booker just went for forty and ten the other night, and OKC has an, an uncanny ability to let bad teams kind of hang around. Yeah, they did that with the Mavericks recently. I, I want to say they did it with Brooklyn recently. Um, they've basically they've been doing it all season. And Russell Westbrook's excuse: Orlando was the team, not Brooklyn. And they barely beat Sacramento, too, and Memphis. So basically, anytime, anytime they play a team that on paper they should beat by 15. And they've beat the Warriors twice this year. Right, exactly. And that's exactly what Russ, uh, I think it was um, Tim McMahon, said he asked Russ about that and you know, kind of letting these bad teams back into games and not closing them out. And Russ basically ignored the question and asked him, what's our record against good teams? And you know, that's hard to argue with that. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I like watching Phoenix. You know, I'm, I'm a huge draft guy. Um, and I, I, I'd like to check in on Josh Jackson. He's got six 20 point games in the month of February. He, at one point in the year, I haven't looked at this super recently, but like two or three weeks ago, he was like considered the worst player in the league by a lot of advanced metrics. Yeah. And a lot of those are just because he's, you know, they're hemorrhaging points like crazy. Um, but he's quietly been pretty good lately. And I, the jury's still out, you know, on what he is long term. But you look at some of his recent games when they're actually giving him opportunities to score and play make. I mean, his last game last or two nights ago in Memphis, 29 points, seven rebounds, four assists, two blocks, two steals, nine of 16 from the floor, 10 of 13 from the line. He's got 24 free throw attempts in his last two games. Uh, I don't know how much you got to see him at Kansas, but this is the type of Josh Jackson that I think the Suns were hesitant to kind of allow allow him to play like this earlier in the year and now that they've now that things are completely out the window for them you know one of the the silver linings of that is you get to see players like this you know play in roles that they otherwise might not if their team was still competing yeah when it comes to dfs I'm really intrigued by the Suns, both players on their team and the players going against them, because they are a fun watch if you just want to be entertained. Um, you know, from a more global standpoint, when it comes to X's and O's and whatnot, like this is the exact type of thing that you should be worried about when you hear about culture of losing. Uh, because unlike the Sixers back in the day, like the guys that were on the court, like really were still trying. Like they they were lovable losers, but they really were trying. And the crowd was kind of actually showing up and getting behind them. And you know they would almost always get shut out at the, in the end in the fourth quarter. Um, but you know it still felt like they wanted to win, and there was a, perhaps a culture that was focused on winning. I am not convinced that that is in place right now in Phoenix whatsoever. Again, for fantasy, we don't really care that much, and so Josh Jackson has been a key to a lot of winning lineups and DraftKings lineups over the last few weeks because his price, he had been so bad that his price was dipping you know, in the 4000s or just something mm-hmm. ridiculous um, when you consider that the, the minimum prices are you know in the 3000s. So um, his price is on the rise, something to be on the lookout, but there's still value to be had because it's not like he's creeping up into the $7,000 or $8,000 territory um, if you're looking at, at it from a DFS perspective. I hinted at it, Nick. Let's get into it right now. Indiana has one of the fastest paces in the league. Um, a surprise this season. They're going up against the Bucks tonight. So just overall, 
when a team like the Bucks faces a team like the Pacers, do you automatically, you know, in your daily projections, uptick pretty much everything for Giannis, Bledsoe, and Middleton on a night like tonight? Um, I mean, the, the Pacers are <clears throat> right around middle of, middle of the pack in terms of pace, you know, 96.7 right now. So not really. I mean, the Bucks are obviously a little bit slower, but about 80% of the teams that the Bucks play are going to play faster than them. So unless they're playing Utah, Dallas, Miami, San Antonio, Sacramento, Memphis, um, you know, I guess you can, you can adjust it slightly, but I don't, I don't know what to make of the Bucks right now overall. I mean, they, they had that huge win over Toronto, um, you know, back on Friday in overtime. And that, that to me was their signature win of this entire season. Um, but then they follow up with a loss to New Orleans, which is defensible the way that New Orleans has played. Um, but then lose at home against Washington, a game where they were, they started out down 14, nothing. They were down like 25 to four at one point and, you know, credit to them, I guess, for, for climbing back into it. But good teams do not fall behind like that at home, you know, against teams that start Thomas Sadoransky at point guard. And then they go in and get absolutely housed by Detroit on Wednesday. So, you know, I, I think it, if you take a step back and look at this Bucks team, the, the expectations to me, and, and I think I told you this, you know, back in September, the expectations were a little too high. They had like 98% of their roster and their production from last season came back. And yeah. I, some people looked at that as a good thing. I didn't necessarily think that was a good thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, like if you want to be the five or the six seed and you want to go out in round one, then great. I, I just didn't think that anyone on that team other than maybe Giannis was going to get demonstrably better. You know, I mean, you're going into a year knowing Jabari Parker wasn't going to be back um you know at least until february chris middleton kind of is what he is um i guess if you want to say thon maker not taking a step forward has really hurt them which it has um but at the same time it's like you know if you were really relying on thon maker to be that guy <laughs> that was problematic in the first place um but th- th- i mean this is i wouldn't say it's a must win by any means for the bucks but you look at these next four games indiana philly at indiana and houston None of those are gimmies by any means. And the way that the East playoffs are shaping up, I mean, the Bucks could bounce from, you know, where are they at right now? They're in seventh. Um, you know, by the end of this run, they could be, you know, clinging to the eight with Detroit a game or two back. Yeah, most definitely. I appreciate you subtly correcting me on Indiana's pace of play um, in terms of pace of play and also average points allowed they're right there in the middle of the pack 14th in the league at 105.3 that was not the case at the beginning of the season so they have definitely shown improvements and as we've talked about um we all downgraded them from the start um but now it's time for me and other people around the you know NBA media landscape to pay attention to the fact that that they are not nearly as bad as we thought they were in fact they're a very average NBA team which is a success for them and GM Kevin Pritchard this year um One thing that we need to focus on, of course, when it gets to this point in the season and you're looking at individual player performance is motivation. Um, And the Bucs are a team that is going to be motivated right there into the end of the season because of playoff seeding. And in past years, Nick, we've we've really had a lot of the playoff rates like kind of cemented one through six or, you know, something like that. Whereas this year it is so topsy turvy that when it comes to fantasy, I don't know if we really need to worry too much about motivation um, like we have had like in the past where the last few weeks of the season, maybe half the league wasn't necessarily motivated. This year it's going to be a little different than we've seen in past seasons, right? 
Uh, I mean, I think I think like a third of the league is not going to be motivated because you sure, know, they're going to be motivated a, to lose. That's that's less than we've had in the past. I feel like. I mean, we're, we're talking about yeah. the Timberwolves play the Jazz tonight, and they're three games separated. Right. But the Timberwolves are the three seed, Jazz are the ten seed. There's mm. just more teams in the mix, and that seems like there has been in the past, which means that mm. when it comes to predicting fantasy stats, more reliable. Yeah, I think I think the argument goes both ways. Like numbers wise, it's probably about the same as normal in terms of teams that are competing and teams that aren't competing. But at least this year, you can kind of draw a very firm line and determine which teams are doing what. You know, in the East, after after Charlotte at ten, and at some point Charlotte probably joins this group. You got the Knicks, Bulls, Nets, Hawks, and Magic, who have definitively been tanking for at least the last month, and that's going to continue. <laughs> in the West, you know, Lakers, Mavs. Kings, Suns, Grizzlies, you know, the Lakers aren't necessarily tanking, but they're still a member of that group. Uh, all those teams do have no interest in winning any NBA basketball games the rest of the way. But, you know, conversely, so that's a third of the league right there. That's 10 teams. There's a one in three chance that on any night you're going to play a team that doesn't want to win. But contrarily, there's also not, you know, the Warriors aren't 10 games up on the number two seed. You know, like in the past, you might play Golden State one of your last five games of the year and you're playing JaVale McGee, David West, Patrick <laughs> McCaw. This year, if you play Golden State in game 81, they might be trying to win to get the one seed. You know, So I think yeah. y- even though there are five teams at the bottom of each conference that are kind of gimmies right now, the other 10 teams are very much in it and are going to be very, very much competing You know, through game 82. All right, sounds good. Nick, let's leave it there. Great to be back with you. This is only our second podcast of the season, where in past seasons we've mm-hmm. literally done hundreds together. So always good to run it back with you. Uh, thanks so much for joining us here on the Rotowire Fantasy Basketball Podcast presented by Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.